Hey, welcome back to The Barry Farrow Show. It's great to have you with us today. Today, we're gonna to talk with a religious freedom expert. You know, on every level, we see this religious exemption being threatened, challenged. But, you know, first, before we jump into that, let's just take a quick moment to review the latest YouTube policy. You know, they were already censoring anyone that said anything about vaccine passports that spoke against the vaccine in any explicit way. But now they've gone to a whole new level. Now they're expanding to any argument, no matter how factual it is, that's in conflict with the CDC narrative, even from around the world with respected uh, scientists and uh, medical doctors. The problem with the position that YouTube's taking is they've expanded uh, to the presumption that they know everything. And as smart as those guys are, they don't know everything. You know, they claim that something's a falsehood when in fact it's merely a controversy or it might even be a set of facts that they disagree with. Of course, even the creation of the data analytics software that they rely on to develop and do all their great algorithms, the very software they work with, they had to go against the mainstream to get it developed. And you know, most of the innovations that we enjoy today rely upon new school, not old school technology. It's driven by going against the consensus view. Plus, by just shutting down every alternative view to the COVID-19 narrative, they further deepen mistrust. They show that they're really trying to hide something. Or it sure seems that way. I mean, why not broadcast Merck's latest drug that seems to work as a therapeutic beautifully, and it's just a pill? Or why not broadcast the proven monoclonal that's being used in Texas and Florida to give it more traction, it's helping people, it's saving lives? I mean, why not shout from the mountaintops that the latest studies from around the world on natural immunity actually prove natural immunity is pretty darn good. God kind of knows what he's doing. You know, truth really shouldn't be intimidated by anyone else's view. If the vaccine is as safe and non-intrusive as they claim, they could just simply point to the adverse reactions page on CDC's website, and they could make their counterclaim with simple math, if it's true. This in conjunction with the Federal Medical License Board's punitive impact on doctors who disagree with the current narrative just really goes in the opposite direction of free speech and open society. And it really leads to the suppression of truth. And they're in fact responsible for a one-sided view. And that leads to expansion of misinformation, not the other way around. In other words, by trying to clamp down on what they think is true, but they don't really know for sure is true, they in fact eliminate the possibility of discovering truth. And you know, that's exactly what happened to Galileo. He's way back in the 17th century. He's known as the father of science, the father of astronomy, the father of the scientific method, yet he was branded as a heretic and under house arrest for a large chunk of his adult life. And that's because he went against the consensus view. But the consensus was wrong. If the consensus in this case is right, they have nothing to fear and they shouldn't clamp down. Well, hey, today we've got an expert from First Freedom Institute, Jeremy Dice. He's special counsel for litigation and communications. You know, in the episode, uh, Jeremy, where uh, YouTube censored me a couple of weeks ago, I was simply retelling the story of a uh, fantastic young man who has uh, been attempting to get his religious exemption processed through the airline that he works for. 
And, you know, we, we got censored. We got canceled out. We still get a, got a lot of re, uh, views on Rumble. And thankfully, we've got a kind of a backup plan. But I guess YouTube just didn't like the facts. I mean, it was simply a story, this guy's journey. And he and hundreds of other pilots are claiming that they really weren't given a reasonable accommodation because though they were technically given the religious exemption, and that was after a whole series of intrusive questions, they were given it without pay. And without benefits. So it doesn't seem like that much of a reasonable uh, accommodation. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the airlines? Uh, I know the, the one I'm talking about, you don't represent. Um, do they have any, uh, so maybe you can speak more freely about it. Do they have any chance of prevailing in court? Yeah, look, I, I don't represent any of the, the airlines, thankfully. So I think I can be kind of clear on all of this. In fact, we're suing one of them, which I'll tell you about in a moment. But uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, on the show today. I really appreciate that. Thanks for, us, come to you. thanks for letting us catch up with you on the shooting range. I, I know that that's more important, but uh, thanks for giving us some time. Where else would you find a First Amendment scholar but exercising the Second Amendment rights, right? Uh, so, yeah, look, uh, look, these are tough issues. And, and for the airlines, I get it. Look, we're talking right now, and the latest news is that I think 1,000 or 2,000 flights from Southwest Airlines were canceled. And, and they're saying that's weather, but that's not weather. Uh, there are sick outs being uh, called in all over the country in protest of these vaccines. Uh, and look, I, I'm not going to take a position one way or the other on the vaccines. Everybody can have their own position on it all. And that's what we used to call freedom in this country. And that's what I care about. Uh, when you have United Airlines right now insisting that every member of their staff get vaccinated, uh, that level of, of mandate is going to actually have the opposite intended effect. And so if they're intending for people to help save lives and protect health, they're going about it, I think, the backwards way of doing so, because they've clearly never parented a teenager. When you tell right. somebody to do one thing, they want to do the opposite thing every exactly. single time. And I think that's where we find ourselves right now is, is people wanting to figure out, OK, wait, I, I was on the fence about this. But now that you tell me I have to do it. Well, by golly, I'm not going to do it whatsoever. Right. And that's really kind of an unfortunate situation we find ourselves in. Will Amer United Airlines be, be, uh, be, be, be successful? That's the million dollar question, all these things. What I think we can all agree on is that by not offering or even not respecting religious accommodations or exemptions, uh, I, I think they're further entrenching the us versus them mentality right. on things. A, a religious exemption exists when people recognize that religion is a valid thing for us to live our lives by. What is there a, something? Let me let me interrupt you real quick. What is a religious exemption? What, what's the definition of it? Yeah, the simple statement is that you are exempted from some sort of requirement based upon your religious beliefs or conscience. Uh, and that, that's the very simple idea of that. But underlying all that is the philosophical side of things, which says that if uh, why do we accommodate religion in general? Opposed to we, we understand what a medical exemption would be. I have a medical condition that would require me to be exempted from an otherwise valid requirement. Well, it's the same sort of thing when we recognize that there is something to which we owe a higher duty and responsibility, God in this case, uh, and that practice with the divine, that vertical relationship that we have requires a recognition either by our employers or by the government itself that we need to give them the space to be able to have that freedom. Uh, and this is all that uh, our foundation stone of freedom is built upon this respect for one's relationship, not just horizontally with our neighbors here, but vertically with our God. There are some things that the divine requires us to do that the government may want to get in on and say you can't do. But because of that vertical relationship, we're going to afford them the space to be able to have that 
that freedom to do that thing. And so when employers in this case don't respect that religious belief, or in some cases, as I think we've seen too many times now, they view it as sort of this magic fairy dust that we can sprinkle on things uh, to get out of otherwise require uh, other requirements. That that has a real danger to not only showing tolerance and respect, but also to undermining our very freedoms that we have come to know and love so much. So what are the different ways to credibly apply for a religious exemption in this situation? So I I, I, I kind of walked that journey with this pilot, and he, he uh, is of the Christian faith, and that's um, a classical, traditional faith. It's not brand new to uh, just the vaccine. I think it predates the vaccine by a couple thousand years. And so he argued in two ways. Number one, he's very, very pro-life, very sensitive to that issue. And uh, people can have different opinions on this, but he sincerely believes that anything that's connected to abortion in any way, shape, or form is evil. So even if you have a aborted fetus, and I know some people argue, well, now that it's abortus, you go ahead and use what you need to advance science. Others say, no, you can't have any t- connection with that whatsoever because that's a violation of my deeply held belief. Uh, is that a legitimate religious exemption? Well, I believe so. Look, I I would actually back that train up a little bit further down the track, which is to say that if someone says, I have a sincere religious belief that requires me to not do X, or maybe the best state of the other way around, that prevents me from doing what you require me to do, that ought to really end the matter. And the the problem that we're having, um, so you asked about what's the process. Well, the process is you assert that uh, in writing or to your HR person in an email or by, by voice. And then they have to figure out a way to be able to accommodate you so long as it does not pose an undue hardship to the company that you're working for. And we can but that's that not what they did. I'm, I'm no, sorry I know to interrupt you, but that's not what they did. They came back and asked him a series. I saw all the emails. It was right. four or five series of intrusive questions going back in time, asking him whether or not he was a, was a real, you know, a genuine Christian, as if those secular humanists had any idea how to assess that. And they, right. so they and that, and that's, the and that's, that, that's exactly what I'm getting at is that that first statement says, I have a sincere religious belief. This is where the divide is in our country right now, is that there is a divide between the sinceres and the insincere, if I can put it that way. People who sincerely believe religious beliefs have meaning and impact upon their not only lives, but their eternal souls. And those who think that that is just simply insincere talk about wanting to get out of something that they want you to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what the, that divide is leading to is, is this, this, this horrible thing where you have people that are saying, hey, you don't really believe that. And so we're going to force you to violate your conscience. Now, hold on a second. What, what is the implications of that? that? This is really dire stuff if you think about it. What someone is saying is that I have a sincere religious belief that if I violate this standard, my life is not just simply in jeopardy. My eternal soul is in jeopardy. If that is genuinely how people feel. Exactly right. Uh, And so there is a, there's a growing number of people, unfortunately, that believe that there is, they're just simply trying to grab a magic pixie dust and throw religion on this to say, Hey, I want to get out of, you know, waiting in line for something that, that is beyond the pale. What we're actually arguing about is if you force me to do this, whether it is, uh, violate my conscience on the issue of aborted fetal, fetal matter, or just simply uh, uh, violate my conscience on uh, putting something in my body that is untested or whatever the justification for it actually is, 
if if you force me to violate that, it's not simply that my my mind is broken or that uh, my, my heart is is disaffected. It means that my eternal soul is in jeopardy here. Uh, and, and that level of intolerance yeah. is really concerning in a society that otherwise believes itself to be free. So does the government have a right to deny a religious <laughs> exemption? Well, we're kind of mixing things here a little bit here. So it, the government itself is an employer and employees are em- employees of private corporations. And so there is a law that's called Title VII and that protects employers of 50 or more employees. And so if they are, if you're in, so most employees are, are subject to this kind of requirement. Title VII requires- no, I'm actually talking employer- about, I'm actually talking about the employees of the government. So they've sure. got a few million employees. Do they have the right to deny the religious exemption as they apparently have been doing with him? Right. So, so it's, it's the same kind of analysis, just kind of going down two different tracks here. Yeah. So employers like the government, if you're a government employee, you still have religious liberty. You still have the rights as an employee to, to have your religion at work. Uh, and so you cannot be forced by the government to violate those convictions. Now, I should be very clear on this point. If you're an employee of the government, there is a mandate supposedly out there for you. But if you're a private employee, there is an announced mandate that is supposed to be coming, but is yet to come. So does the mandate, that, does that mandate have the force of law? Uh, it, it's, it's a mandate from the chief executive, I guess, of your employer uh, right. with the government. But uh, does is it an actual law when he makes the mandate? It, it, it should be, right? I mean, this is administrative law. So yes, it has the force and effect of okay. law. It has to be rooted upon an act of Congress in order for it to give full force and effect. In other words, it has to be derived from something that the legislature said, you go here and execute these laws. If OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, cannot root itself in that law, then of course it's not a valid force of law. That, I think, is what is going to be the the, the substance of the legal debate once that mandate for private employers is actually fully announced by OSHA. It hasn't come yet. Now, if you're a government employee, I do understand there to be a, a, a mandate in effect. We see this right now with our, our members of the military and, and contractors that are having a certain amount of time to, to get their, uh, their shot put in place or not. And so I, I think we're going to see more and more challenges arising to these things as the conscience objections are denied by the uh, federal agencies around the country. So let's go to a different thought, and that's just what um, the typical business guy has, uh, has asked. Is there anything that a host like me uh, can do to sue YouTube? I mean, I was canceled for simply retelling the story of an airline pilot's journey. Is there any claim for an implied, in fact, contract? You know, where like a, a restaurant expects to be paid after the meal is delivered. So even the cust- even though that customer didn't sign a contract, it's pretty obvious he came in there, he ordered food, he got the, ate the food. And then if he get, gets up and just leaves without paying, you know, the restaurant owner could have some kind of a claim. I'm not sure it'd be worth chasing, but if he wanted to, he could claim based on an implied, in fact, contract as I understand it. So in a similar vein, could a YouTube host expect to keep their following, expect to be able to say, as long as it's legal, um, whatever they want to, um, or is there any way that litigation would prevail using some kind of a logic like that? Maybe. And I I hate to use the law school answer that it depends here, but this is where we're right in the middle of a discussion about this right now. Look, we we sued America, or I'm sorry, Alaska Airlines a couple of weeks ago. We we filed an employment complaint complaint against them as I, I guess it would be the more proper designation. 
uh, we made a video telling our, this is the flight attendant who used their internal server to make some comments about her faith on that. And then she was summarily fired for, for doing wow. so. Actually wow. even ushered off the, the, the plane. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's, it's really quite shocking. Well, we, we, went to, we went to the Seattle airport. We took our cameras. We took video of the Alaska airline planes kind of driving around the tarmac. Uh, and it has their logo on the side of the plane, as you remember. Well, we put that out as soon as we announced the case, we put that story out. And that was the B-roll. So that section that where you don't have somebody talking, it's just kind of the background noise that's out there of those planes going around the airport. We shot the video. They're in public view. There is, there's no copyright violation here or uh, any other expectation of privacy. We put that on YouTube. And uh, Alaska Airlines actually complained. They flagged that video to YouTube and got that video shut down over the weekend. Unbelievable. Now, I was really bothered by that. You and guys I have it up on Rumble? It's, it's up on Rumble, but it got back up on YouTube. Now, let me tell you the rest of the story, what happened here. And this is why I think this is such a nefarious thing that we need to start working on here. Yeah. Uh, what, what happened is that they asserted a claim to their copyright. There was no legitimate claim to their copyright. But as soon as they assert that claim on copyright, Google is required by, I think it's called the uh, Uniform Millennial Data Privacy Act or something like that. They're required to take that video down. It's a must language in the statute. They have to take it down. And if they don't, the copyright owner can can hit them for a five-figure uh, penalty. Well, that's pretty substantial, and I can understand that. Now, here's the here's the trick. There's no equal and opposite movement to that. In other words, Alaska Airlines pulled this as a litigation trick so that our client, having violated their, her religious rights as an employee, now was denying their, her rights as a First Amendment, uh, as a citizen under First Amendment rights. That, I think, is very, very concerning here. And so I'd like to have a discussion with the Senate, with the Congress saying, look, I get the fact that you want to protect the employers and these companies with their copyrights. I, I understand that. I think we can all agree upon that. But when they use this for negative and nefarious purposes, like they did in this case, to shut down the free speech rights of citizens that are otherwise just simply trying to assert their rights with legal counsel, I might add, that goes a bridge too far. And I think the same penalty that is imposed against Google and YouTube ought to be imposed against the employers for trying to pull this kind of a stunt. So when it comes to situations like that, I think we can have the discussion. When it comes to situations like yours, it's it's a hard thing to figure out because the First Amendment doesn't traditionally apply within the private sphere of YouTube. But that's where we find ourselves in right now, which is why I say it depends. I think there's a discussion going on right now to figure out, is YouTube the next private park, right? Uh, we, we know the pu private public square, right? You go downtown, there's a park, you go out there, you should be in entitled to be able to hand out literature and, and say whatever you want on that green. If that is owned by a private entity, that analysis changes a little bit, but not fully. And so we're going to we're going to figure out now whether YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and all the other socials are these sort of this public private partnership that uh, is the new public square for us to insert the First Amendment to fully protect our our uh, our residents around the, the nation. Well, that's uh, thank you for that answer. Yeah, I, from a business standpoint, I would think that that implied in fact contract, which hasn't really been tested to my knowledge, would have some potential bearing. It's, uh, uh, you know, when, when I when I go into business with someone, I've got things that are not mentioned in our contract that always happens, especially in any kind of a complex deal. And there are things, though, that are implied that you have to uh, hold up your end of the, the deal on. And for someone to willy-nilly 
yank someone's uh, potential for reach or what have you through a platform that they previously believed would allow for a free use of it, I would think would have some bearing. But you're, you're saying yeah. so far, we, there's, there's, I don't think anybody's tried that, but uh, you don't know if that would have. But I'm willing to pick up every stick and rock. I'll pick up every stick and rock that's laying on the path on the way to victory if, if, to be able to use it. I would certainly be glad. I think there's going to be all the arguments that need to be made. The question mark is what is going to be the outcome on them? And that's what sure, we're trying to figure sure. out. But what I think we can all agree on and should agree on is that when companies or even the cancel culture mob uses those uh, well-meaning laws for a negative and censorious effect, we have a right, we have a duty, frankly, to, to point that out wherever we possibly right. can. And, and then eventually to say, wait a minute, we've got to have different adjustments to the law to make sure things are corrected. So in, in the case of our Alaska Airlines case, you know, the, the, the opposite intended effect occurred with that law. Um, they followed the law, but it actually negated my client's First Amendment rights, at least for a period of three or four days. That's wrong. And we can fix that with a little tweak of the law. Uh, in cases with hosts like you and, and others, uh, the, the cancel culture mob has been uh, regrettably winning the ideological war on that. I think that's going to be a war that's going to be more won on the ideological side of things than it is on the litigation side of things. But I think it may take the litigation in order to push the policy and the, the ideology in the right direction. Let's... Uh... Let's move to one more thing. Uh, we just saw that this Michigan judge, uh, a, a, a Bush appointee actually, denied this claim for natural immunity. Apparently this gal, uh, an employee of Michigan State, um, was able to present that she had two antibody tests. She was able to show that and that she's healthy and her doctors told her she didn't need to get the vaccine at this time because they felt like her natural immunity was strong enough. So she faces this termination from the university for not complying with Michigan State's mandate that everybody, students and staff, have to get the shot unless they have a medical or religious exemption. So she's going on a different basis. She's attempting to go on a health claim, basically wake up every, everyone, look at all these uh, uh, arguments for the natural immunity. And now we've, we've got over a dozen studies that are peer-reviewed worldwide that say that natural immunity is equal or better than the actual vaccine. So you can take the vaccine, you can uh, have the natural immunity, and those two are, are, are at least equal. Anyway, the judge denied her lawsuit. He said the mandate didn't violate her fundamental rights. He pointed to this 1905 ruling. What are your thoughts about that? Is there any way to update that 1905 Supreme Court ruling? Or how, how does that work? And what, what are your thoughts? It's really, this is a really, really tough issue because of that case in 1905, the Ockerson versus Massachusetts, it was smallpox. Gotcha. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're trying to figure out whether or not uh, that applies today or not. The Supreme Court really just hasn't given us any guidance on that. And ultimately, that's going to be the answer is what the Supreme Court ultimately says about the whole thing. Now, common sense would seem to kick in here, right? If, if you have natural immunity to, um, you know, the chicken pox, uh, do you really need a booster shot? Uh, I, I, that, the science is pretty well settled on that one, I, I would think here. Uh, look, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while for us to sort this whole thing out, unfortunately. Uh, and, and, and regrettably, the common sense doesn't seem to be that terribly common right now uh, to carry these things through. So I, I would continue to encourage folks to go to firstliberty.org and, and kind of look at our guidance that we have on there at the top of the page. It'll help you think through and walk through the steps that you need to take in order to request a religious accommodation and religious exemption. I, I want to kind of give a little bit of hope here because there have been many that have followed those steps and received a religious accommodation. If you're an employer in a private company, let me remind you, there, there is no federal mandate right now for your employees to be vaccinated. 
you're simply following the bully pulpit of the, the president saying, I'm going to issue a, a mandate for every employee to be to be vaccinated. Uh, but you can hold out for right now if you, if you want to. You don't have to. If you want to issue the mandate, that's between you, your your shareholders or your board to figure out whether or not that's the best thing for your employees. But I think we should all be uh, taking a pause here to recognize how important the issue of religious liberty and uh, accommodating that however possible could be. I, I have a friend, actually, he's an elder at my church, as a matter of fact, who um, had COVID, recovered from COVID, works remotely, still works remotely, and uh, they're requiring their entire remote staff to become vaccinated. Now, that, that doesn't seem to have a real bearing on the the, the, the protecting of people in the workplace. He's got natural immunity. Uh, he's not in the office. But, you know, I understand he, he's older in age and he can't right now go out to run and get a job. Look, I, I think that is a, every bit as desp- despicable and um, intolerant of someone's religious beliefs and their age, for that matter, to demand that someone who depends, depends upon a livelihood of work to go and get something that they may or may not need. And look, I, again, I'm not going to say anything for or against the, the, the vaccine. That's between you, your doctor and your God. But I think employers need to take a long, hard look at these vaccine mandates and, and not follow the popular trend that may be to say, hey, we're going to demand that people go out. Southwest Airlines is facing a real problem right now with their uh, their staff saying we're, we're not going to get the shot. We're walking off the job. The economic impact of that, as you well know, is going to be enormous simply because they refuse to recognize uh, a vast majority of people that have a common sense rationale, but also a religious or medical problem with getting these vaccines. We, we At one time, we were the enemy of the free world in recognizing people's religious conscience. When can we get back to that? To recognize that our neighbor's are not scary monsters because they are religious, but instead they are people of genuine goodwill who simply are trying to abide by their faith in a manner that pleases the divine. Uh, we ought to have room in this country for, for that to occur. Amen. Thank you, Jeremy. Fascinating stuff. Thank you for being all about freedom. First Freedom Institute listeners, um, great organization. Uh, why do they call it the First Freedom Institute? Well, if you look at the First Amendment, the first part of the First Amendment is religious freedom. It's the freedom to believe, the freedom to freely exercise that belief. Thank you for fighting for us, uh, Jeremy. You and your organization are great. God bless you and to your freedom. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm David Farah. Thank you for listening to my dad's podcast, The Barry Farah Show, Culture Shift. Click subscribe now to be sure you don't miss an episode. Share this podcast with your friends on social media and give The Barry Ferris Show your five-star rating. Check out today's show notes below this episode and at theberryferrisshow.com. This podcast is also available in video format at The Barry Ferris Show on YouTube. See you next time.